welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, the extremely harried Cat Bailey, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Cat. Yesterday we were as children, didn't know a thing about the Mario movie and how it looked in this trailer. Today we are grown, we are grown adults, we know, we are enlightened. It is a good day. Yeah, we know that Chris Pratt is just using his regular damn voice to voice Mario. I love it. I love it. That's a hell of a power move, I gotta say, to just be like, yeah, I'm so excited to be talking about line Koopas. Line with my good friend, line. Oh, what did they stomp? Bowser. (laughs) He looked very hungover. He did. Oh, okay, so I'm not the only one who thought that. I thought this poor guy's on on drugs or something because he is like, are not. Are you okay? Are you okay, Chris Pratt? It's like, uh, go. but then uh, then Jack Black shows up and just rips oh, him out of the stratosphere. Incredible. That was amazing. Incredible. And then like, I I tweeted, Chris Pratt has never played a Mario game in his life, and I just instantly got a ton of retweets. Do you think? Do you think um, they found Chris Pratt and dragged him out of bed? They must and have made That's him record that because he looked hungover and very disheveled and like, where am I? I don't he recorded even... five minutes prior to the actual yeah. airtime. <laughs> he looked like he was in a laundromat. People are like, maybe Chris Pratt's going to be at this Comic-Con com- conference. And I'm like, there's no way in hell he'll be at that conference. <laughs> and I was right. He recorded oh, yeah. a half ass message. But also joining me is my other equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. Uh, I, I would like to rebuff something, Nadia. I absolutely mm-hmm. do think Chris Pratt has played a video game. It's just called Call of Duty Modern Warfare. <laughs> no, he could have done Madden. He could have done Madden. No, I think Chris Pratt specifically has played Call of Duty or Battlefield or something like that because most of his non-Parks and Rec uh, or animated movie stuff has been like... The same with like Jim from The Office, where they just go and do a bunch of like Tom Clancy movies and things like that. <laughs> uh, so absolutely, I think I think Chris Pratt. Uh, my my takeaway from that was really that long, long pregnant pause between stomping on Koopas. <laughs> there were so many pauses in his speech that I was like, are you really no retakes? Huh? This is no, the one y'all went with. This was the first best shot. Option. First take. <laughs> what was it? The line from the Simpsons? 75 takes. 75 takes. Was that was the best one. one. <laughs> well, this week we won't be talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Instead, we'll be talking about other announcements, including the fact that Cyber... Or, Cyberpunk CD Projekt is making all of the games, including a Cyberpunk sequel and various Witcher projects and another game. We'll be talking about all of that, including all of the rest of the news and what we've been playing. But first, if you enjoy the show, thank you so much for your support. Um, go ahead, do us a favor and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at CMOSI. S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we had a Pantheon episode release this week. It was our Pantheon of the Blood God exploration of Golden Sun, special mm-hmm. guests Victor Hunter and Rebecca Valentine. A lot of people saying that this was the best episode yet. A lot of wholesome energy, a loving Golden Sun from Red oh, and Victor, and a lot nice. of curmudgeonly skepticism from Nadia and I. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, everyone. I really tried, but when I saw Golden Sun was the game, I was just like, because <sighs> I knew what I was going to, I'm like, okay, let's play it again. See if maybe there's some great realization here. No, I still think it's a real basic ass RPG. Very nice. Very fun. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous, though. And Victor made a lot of, Victor and Reb made a lot of great, uh, arguments in its favor yeah it made me see golden sun in a whole new light so to speak but uh you can access that for at the ten dollar level but for just one dollar you can get these episodes ad free and also gets you access to our discord that's again patreon.com slash slash blood god pod but now it's time to talk about what we have been playing our sacrifices to the blood god and i'm gonna just talk really quickly about the games that I have not been playing, but they <laughs> recently came out. This, y'all, is kind of the, uh, shall we say, the time of the B-level RPG. Uh, we mm, have had really three, re- mm-hmm. three releases. One is Adeofield Chronicle, which mm-hmm. Eric played. Mm-hmm. Valkyrie Elysium, of which I played the demo and really enjoyed it, but it's been kind of slaughtered a bit in uh, Metacritic. And then there's uh, Trails from Zero, a brand new RPG that has kind of come and gone. Unfortunately, it was widely hyped in the Trails uh, community because it's been, frankly, a long time coming. And that was um, a fan subbed one uh, or fan translated, I should say. And that became official. Very exciting. But also a whole bunch of games came out at the same time. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to get to them yeah, we mm-hmm. do want to cover them, and we were hoping to get somebody on the show today to talk about them, but uh, they've kind of fell through at the last minute. But rest assured, we we do want to talk about them. Mostly, though, y'all, my heart, my heart is just broken and sad that Valkyrie Elysium, despite a lot of people saying that the action system is good, they're just saying it's bad. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, I've wanted to get to Trails and ze- from Zero, but I've kind of fallen behind on, behind on that. I'll probably do that this week. But yeah, I'm sorry, Kat. But you know what? There's lots of games that are might be a seven to everyone else, or a six, or even a five. But they can you can still like them. Like there's plenty of trash ass games no, that I love. Hell, no. If it's lower <laughs> than an eight, that's it. <laughs> I just it's did. De- it's dead to me. <laughs> Victor, uh, Ash Paulson, and I on Retronauts, we just did an episode about uh, the after years and how, you know what? It's actually, yes, it's trash, but it's okay trash. And it's trash as close to our hearts. We're, we are raccoons today. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> so, I played through the Diofield Chronicles. Uh, my review is live on Destructoid. I gave it just that good old 7 out of 10, which honestly, like, that was my feeling about five minutes into that game, and that was my feeling after about, like, 25 hours in that game, was that is <laughs> a 7 out of 10, if i ever seen one. But that's that doesn't mean bad. It just means that it's got some ideas. It's it's cooking with some stuff. It's not wholly irredeemable, but it's, you know, it's got a ways to go. And I think Dio Field particularly would be one that I would like to see Square Enix return to and toy mm-hmm. with a little bit. Valkyrie Elysium, I'm maybe not surprised by because I came out of that demo being like, well, the combat was nice. It's like when you go see your friends play and you're like, well, your acting was fantastic. <laughs> you did such a great job (laughs) the combat was good it ran it was 60 fps that always makes a difference to me 
I thought the graphics were really good. It had the vibe of a Valkyrie profile. Very good music. It seemed like the the I liked the flow and the energy and the verb. It it reminded me of what Platinum used to be. Platinum mm-hmm. just Platinum just doesn't you know hit with me anymore. Um, the story doesn't seem good, and I think that's probably what a lot of people are ex- mm-hmm. kind of excoriating mm-hmm. it for. I I started up the main game again. It was just a demo once more. And I was mm-hmm. kind of scratching my head again because it seems like a, such a stripped down and simplified version of Valkyrie Profile. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on here? But it's still, I want to believe y'all. So I, I am going to find time. In fact, what I'm probably going to do is I'm going up to Sacramento this weekend. That's why I have a hard out is I literally have to get in a car and start driving towards Sacramento uh, at 7 p.m. tonight. But I think mm, I'm gonna mm-hmm. plug in my PS5 in uh, the car. And, no, no, I'm going to. <laughs> Where's our battery? Damn it! <laughs> I, the the I jet engine exhaust will propel you all the way to Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm going to plug the Ethernet into my PS5, and I'm gonna play it remotely using um, mm. using oh. a backbone. I got a backbone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, PS5 nice. remote play is a thing. Um, it's actually pretty neat. So we'll, we'll see if uh, we'll see if uh, the action actually. Yeah, let me know how that works out. That sounds pretty yeah. cool, actually. It was working out really well with the Xbox. I was actually mm-hmm. pretty stunned. Um, we'll see about the PS5. It's a little bit different. But, um, this is kind of me sort of apologetically saying, no, we haven't forget- forgotten about these games. Um, we will get to them. No, oh, for sure. We'll do them right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can. yeah. RPGs, y'all. It turns out RPGs are really big, mm-hmm. and they take a uh, bit of time. Take a little bit of time to uh, get into when several and when multiple games are kind of dropping at the same time. Um, be a little tricky. Besides, you got a lot of Avatar: The Last Airbender to watch, apparently. So, <laughs> and I was I was gonna say, thank heaven Square Enix isn't just blasting us with fourteen more RPGs from a fire hose between now yeah. and the end of twenty twenty two. I will be getting uh, near Automata though for Switch because I actually oh, never... I've heard that port's real good. People I'm are going to miracle, yeah. yeah, yeah. You said real, and I thought, oh god, here comes bad. But no, you no, said no. Good. I'm I'm hurt. I'm, I'm hearing good things. Like good, good. Did yeah. they ever fix the PC? version of near yeah i think that is i think that is now updated and it's what what speedrunners have been using i know because they they do a bunch of mods where you can make 2b and and 9s look like different characters and stuff so if you want to be like thomas the tank engine or something (laughs) it's always thomas the freaking always thomas the tank why when i was a kid he was lame and now he's still lame and everyone still latches onto that bugger it's the skyrim video i will never forget the first time i saw the skyrim mod of of thomas the tank engine as a dragon and and that it was, was kind just, of funny. It was the, the whistle. Toot, toot. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> when Alderman comes. Yeah, that was pretty creepy, actually. <laughs> I uh, the reason I'm asking is I'm kind of wondering if I should get near Automata on uh, the Steam Deck or Switch, or if I should mm, just stick with the original question. release. I might actually go. Well, you've played it before, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. I was going to be like, is this a first time, or is this like I want to play this again? I mean, I can um, play it on Xbox. I, I think the Xbox I, Series XS has new had new mit- content, and also I think the Xbox automatically enhances a lot of games. 
I don't know how much, I don't know what that new content constitutes. I don't think it's story based. So I think you're, you're fine either way. It's probably like Bioshock where they're like, here's some arenas or something. Mm. But, uh, I think this, like everything I've heard about the switch version makes me want to play that at some point. And I haven't gone back to near automata since I first played it because I like, I have a thing about some games where I just, it's hard for me to go back because I'm worried that I may see them in a different light. And I want to preserve the moment in time in which I played them. But near automata is one of the ones where I think it has been enough time. And also I did some of those raids in 14 and they slap so hard. And that boss battle. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. When they first did the remix of way of the world. I mean, well, Platinum's still, still good. They had, what, Babylon's <laughs> Fall? Like, that's... Everyone has, deserves a screw-up. I mean, Look, you still have Raiden chopping people's chicken Everybody nuggets. deserves a screw-up. I think Platinum, Platinum has, has to mess up so you know how good they can be. My <laughs> source is that I made it the F up. What was the last good Platinum game to come out? Uh, Astral Chain. I heard a lot of good things about Astral, Astral Chain. Astral really right. good. Right. Yeah. 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 I didn't get to yeah. play it, and I wanted to. The, uh, the last... Well, we talked about... We talked about Nier Automata when it first came out. March 17th, 2017, Nier Automata, Persona 4, Chrono Trigger, and Andromeda Drama. <laughs> That's the oh, title geez. of the episode. That was when we were like just getting deluged with RPGs because Persona 5 was coming out around that, was that a good time. Year. 2017 was a banger year. Absolutely. 2017 was a banger, Vintage. absolutely. Vintage year. Was, was 2017 mm-hmm. RDR2 or was that 2018? It was 2018. 2018, okay. yeah. Yeah, 2017, I think I can remember my full top 10 from that year, but like Battle Chef Brigade, which is one of my like favorite indie games ever made. Uh, but that was PUBG. That was Persona 5. That oh, was Dear that Automata. Was that was yeah. Yakuza 0. That was Breath of the Wild. Uh, that, that was, was Splatoon nuts. 2. Uh, there was a lot of really good stuff. What Remains of Edith Finch, Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, what else was on my list? I don't remember. Oh, Danganronpa V3. Uh, some really good stuff. Mm-hmm, Splatoon mm-hmm. 2. Not Xenoblade Horizon. Chronicles 2. Super Never Horizon. Out. Yeah, or everybody Horizon. remembers. LOL. And everybody's like, Horizon Zero Dawn might be the game of the year, circa 2017. I'm like, how dare you? Breath of the Wild <laughs> okay. is right over here. Can, can we, before we get into random encounters, can we just mention that there are reports that Sony may be uh, remaking or remastering Horizon Zero Dawn and Sony now has the opportunity to do the funniest thing in the world and release that like a week before Breath of the Wild 2. <laughs> hey guys, I, just, I have an idea for a really expensive joke. At this point, it's just a bit. It's it's, it's like just, the guy who got the, the boat stuck in the Suez Canal and then they had him go back through the Suez Canal in the same boat. <laughs> like he had the opportunity to do something really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tie up the supply chains for another six months. Let's That'd be hilarious. Do it again. Hilarious. Boat stuck too. I can't buy toilet paper, but that's okay. The boat's stuck. It's funny. I mean, I'm with Nadia on that one. Wow. Look at think about all of the emissions that are being poured in the atmosphere from all the co- boats that have to go around the Horn of Africa. <laughs> that's great. Ah. However, boat stuck is very funny. <laughs> it's objectively stuck. funny. It is a very yes. funny to our monkey brains. <laughs> we were all, this was, that, that was like pandemic times too, right? We, that was, we, we that were all kind of, of crazy. That hit of in serotonin. This post-apoc- <laughs> in this post-apocalyptic world, uh, you know, a lot of things can be very funny. But uh, Nadia, what have you been playing? 
Uh, still working on Xenoblade Chronicles. Also still working on Shovel Knight Dig, which I'm still kind of obsessed mm-hmm. with. It's still, a, mm. I was kind of busy last week, so I didn't get a lot of time to play. But yeah, I did play a lot of uh, Shovel Knight Downwell, if you want to call it that. And it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Like yeah, I have I not download that. You should. It's a really good game. If you need a game that you just play in quick bites, like it's perfect. It's exactly what you need. So no. Uh, I would easily recommend it for that. And um, actually, yeah, you know what my fear. quick bite game is right now? FIFA? It's my old pal. It's FIFA. Oh, are, you playing, are you playing Ted Lasso Simulator? Are you, are you yeah. running it? I got Ted Lasso coaching my team and FIFA Ultimate Team. You better believe it. But um, what was that look? That expression. (laughs) No, I was I was responding to something that was in the Stars of Destiny live (laughs) chat. I don't even know what's going on with these these posts, these pictures that are being posted. But anyway, I'm sorry to derail you, Nadia. I I might get Shovel Knight Dig as well. So yeah, yeah, I think you'd like it. And um, I don't have a whole lot to report this week. It's a really kind of poor show and tell for me. But next week, I'm thinking I'm getting uh, thinking getting Trails from Zero, but also definitely want to get near. Like I said, so there's. There's stuff that I have uh, lined up. I've got a lot of games piling on my uh, list. I, I've actually mm-hmm. been revamping my little retro corner. Um, oh. And I'm with this idea of being like, it's going to be like this really comfortable space that I can just curl up on a, a little poof, like an ottoman <laughs> poof, and I can play PS2 games or PS1 mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. or SNES games whenever I want. And You should get a Snorlax uh beanbag that's what i was thinking ones. about actually i want to get Big one so bad Snorlax beanbag yeah great shout I out i don't have room for one though oh i think make i do room. actually <laughs> make room <laughs> so long bed my husband comes in what is this <laughs> sorry you're only room for one on the Snorlax, Snorlax bed. now i sleep on a Snorlax. do you man, abby of the moon man i hate snes pronounced as a word lol I've gotten used to it. And Mango Alts wants to know my best player in Ultimate Team. Mango Alts, I haven't had nearly enough time to grind into Oblivion. So I don't, uh, but my current best player is uh, Marcus Rashford, who's been very good to me in the, much better than in real life. But uh, Eric, what have you been playing? Uh, It's October, so I get to start saying this more often that I can't talk about a lot of the things that I'm playing right now. Mm, And I will be able to talk about them later. But, uh, right now, currently this week, the Steam Next Fest is going on, uh, which is by the time this is on the feed, it will be over. But uh, it is the demo fest that uh, Valve hosts uh, infrequently. There was one that was held around E3 time as well, I believe. But it's kind of a time for uh, developers to get out there and and be like, hey, this is what we've got going. A lot of indies, a lot of cool uh, games to spot and so i did a roundup around destructoid you can go read it uh but there are a few rpg adjacent ones that i thought were really neat uh number one for me that i think surprised me the most uh is is dredge which is like mm. a fishing mm. what if you took a fishing mini game where I'm you in. are the captain of a boat and and you are the new fisherman for a a coastal city whose old fisherman just kind of disappeared and you're like okay all right all right you, you kind of get there under you know some some weird weather some spookiness going on and it it mixes all this fishing stuff where you're just kind of going out to different fishing spots and pulling up different 
fish and selling them at the market with with weirdness. Like maybe you pull up a flounder and it's got purple eyes. It's got big teeth. Or maybe that eel is a lot larger than you thought eels could be. Or maybe you're out at night and it's foggy and you just see a distant light in, in, in off in the distance, off on the horizon. You're like, it's an unnatural light. You want to know what that is. You hear about the old, the old fisherman just left one day, just, just went away. He had stopped fishing. Apparently he would go out during the night only and come back, sleep through the day and just disappear for hours on end. It, it's got some vibes and it mixes uh, some pretty good fishing and inventory management with some really good horror, like really good. Surprisingly sounds like good everything I elements. want in a video game. Um, I love fishing games. I love you know, creepy ass horror games. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so what is this dredge dredge D R E D G E. Uh, yeah. Like you dredge up something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's got some vibes. I was really impressed by that one. I'm uh, Potionomics is one that I've talked about on here. I played it at PAX East. Uh, the whole idea is that you are inheriting your uncle's potion shop at on this island that adventurers are kind of flocking to. There was like an evil witch lady there who was defeated. And now the whole island's kind of opened up. There's a hero's guild being established. It's a hot market for a young upstart potion seller like yourself. And mm-hmm. so uh, the general setup is very much like manage your your town, kind of like a receteer. If you ever played receteer, um, I you are man- you're I managing it. a shop and and you haggle with customers who come in to purchase stuff when you open up shop. Uh, it does haggling through like a kind of deck building slay the spire type of thing where yeah. you have different cards that kind of play off. You, you, customers have a certain amount of patience, right? And so you want to try and play a bunch of cards to ratchet up their interests so they'll pay more for something and then cash out, you know, not overdo their patience because if you stretch their patience too thin, they'll just walk. Uh, It's got a ton of interesting stuff in there where you social link with other characters, you get to know them, you learn new haggling techniques from them, and then you can add them to your deck. So maybe one guy is kind of teaching you like, hey, here's how to stretch out, uh, a haggle session so you can get more cards in. his thing is all about extending while another one is about like uh, she's very defense focused and she's very mm-hmm. much like you put up block because people will kind of give you stressors that will make you draw bad cards or do bad things. And so she, she's about putting up a block and then kind of gaining sympathy by being like, Oh, come on. I'm just a little, I'm a little potion seller. Don't want to buy my <laughs> potions. I'm just a humble local merchant. And on top of all it, there's just this incredible, anime style it's like a not battle battle anime sort of vibe because they're you are yeah. building up towards like a tournament and competitions uh is, is like kind of the general idea of where it's going to go eventually uh it's it's a really cool demo i'd really suggest checking it out uh i i immediately loved the art style uh and i got to talk to the developer and learn a bunch of the stuff they just talked about about some of the, the larger ideas at pax east and it was really convincing uh, so that's potionomics and I'm trying to think of another one that we can shout out here. Um, I play, I bounced around some other stuff. There's stuff like cesspool, which is a really cool old school RPG type thing that mm-hmm. has some cool ideas, but is very, very early. And so I would recommend taking it with that grain of salt. Uh, we also have a channel in the discord where people have been dropping in their recommendations of stuff they've really liked. Uh, I think the last one I want to shout out for folks who like narrative stuff, you know, you all 13 Sentinel sickos out there. And all Hell that. yeah. Uh, Slay the Princess 
uh, you are a hero and you're here to slay the princess. The the narrator says, hey, look, you got to walk up to that cabin up there on that hill and kill the princess inside, because if you don't, she will get free and she will end the world. Uh, already like really interesting idea, right? Yeah, it has incredible narrative design around anticipating that you are going to try and circumvent it in some ways that you are going to try and ask questions and poke and prod. It is a game that knows you are trying to game it. And so Mm. it games you back and the way it does that, I will not spoil, but it is very cool. It's a very neat demo. It's really good for the people who like the October spooky vibes because Hey, uh, incredible voice acting delivery um from from the princess's voice actor uh that princess ain't no princess <laughs> not not in not not no disney princess uh and there is there was a line where she's very much like oh you came down here to kill me with a knife and you're being told i'm dangerous by this narrator if i'm as dangerous as he says you should probably think about putting that knife down. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> like it was, it was a very, very good delivery. Um, this is absolutely a game that uh, I think should be on everybody's radar. Uh, it's being made by the same folks who make uh, Scarlet hollow, which I'm looking up the developers, black tabby games. Um, just absolutely, absolutely excellent. Uh, Nicole Goodnight is who does the princess and, yeah, cannot recommend it enough. It takes like 20 minutes to get through the demo and you're going to love it. There's also multiple endings in the demo. So uh, oh, cool. you might get ones that even I have not seen. And that's that's really fun. So there's lots of cool stuff on Next Fest. Go check it out because I've said it before. I'll say it again. Indies are doing really cool things in the space. Some of my favorite games this year, like Sizen Sleeper, uh, what I've played of Norco and stuff like that are are indie games and they're doing just really novel neat cool things uh and every year i walk away with a bunch of indies that i'm like cool this is what interests me this is what is intriguing me as much as i love the big budget production stuff like xenoblade and all that uh there's some really cool stuff happening on the fringes and it's it's always worth taking some time on the weekend if you got it just dive into these demo festivals and finding some neat stuff and wishlist them that helps that helps it helps Mm -hmm. all right that helps developers even if you have no intention of eventually buying it just wishlisting something actually does help a ton with metrics i've talked to many indie developers who've repeated that over and over again steam loves wishlist numbers so if you'd like a game please wishlist it also teep says our very own jb from this discord has a demo up for a point and click game called still ridge heck yeah heck yeah jb i love i love seeing members of the blood god community making games i know that we have some game developers in there the art looks nice i like that oh wow that does look really cool it looks great yeah i'm actually really into this every town has its secrets omar fletcher is a therapist who can travel to the dreams of his patients when he witnesses a ritualistic murder in his own dreams omar is compelled to travel to the town of Steel Ridge, North or West Virginia, North Virginia, to stop what he witnessed. But within this idyllic mountain town, Omar finds that the waking world and nightmare. Ooh, it uh, you it, <laughs> it cuts off. It, 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 actually, it actually sounds really cool. Uh, 
Nightmare You. <laughs> that's like the Wii U, but Nightmare You. Uh, uh, that's what it turned into. <laughs> yeah, shout, shout outs to this because it looks like low poly meets Twin Peaks meets like yeah. Southern Gothic. And if if you like those things, then yeah, you should, you should yeah, check this out. Cool. Still Ridge oh, on Steam. Oh, big PlayStation vibes. Yeah, yeah. PS1 for sure. Um, which, by the way, if you... Uh, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, go check it out. Still Ridge looks very, very cool. And it's from a member of the Blood God community. But that's it for what we've been playing. It's now time for a series of random encounters. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mario movie trailer is out. Stay tuned for the post show for our takes. Steam Deck Q is filled, fulfilled. Who wrote this? <laughs> who wrote this? We're all looking for the guy who did this. We're all looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> the Steam Deck Q uh, is no more. You can just buy the game uh, Steam Deck without a reservation. A new uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet trailer is out and has shown um, things, including TM crafting and a new evolution for a giraffe rig in which yes. the little thing on the tail is now like a hoodie. Oh, I love giraffe uh-huh, rig. Uh-huh. God, it's amazing. I'm cracking I'm so up because I'm realizing I've constructed this random encounters in a way that is just impossible for Kat to, to read unseen. And it's I'm doing this every week now. <laughs> Uh, the NLRB fi- has found that Activision Blizzard withheld raises from unionizing workers. Did you know Gaming uncovered Retro Studios' pitch for a Zelda Tactics game? Crystal Dynamics wants to know your thoughts on the legacy of Kane. Yeah, don't don't worry about it, Crystal Dynamics. That's my thought. And uh, Disco Elysium developer Zaum, uh, well, is kind of falling apart because there's a lot yeah. going on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, multiple developers have left. There have been accusations that uh, there were investments involved who basically took over the studio, but then there are also counter accusations that the people who left were toxic. It's a bad situation, unfortunately, and uh, the studio that uh, created Disco Elysium and I believe is now creating a follow-up as we speak. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. it's a different studio, and I guess we're going to have to see what that what's going to happen but it seems like a an extremely messy situation but our main topic this week is cd project is making all of the things um last week we talked about cyberpunk 2077 and uh they are talking they have 
they're making a sequel. We have spoken mm-hmm. the sequel into existence. Um, You're welcome. Here's a rundown for all of y'all, because there's a lot here. So, Cyberpunk, uh, the Phantom Liberty expansion is in production for 2023. And then there will be Project Orion, a sequel, which is in development and will, quote, prove the full power and potential of Cyberpunk. Get rid of the phones. Guys, that's what that's what uh, the whole power potential. Is. That's what I would really like. Thank you. <laughs> you jack into the mainframe, not have to have any of those mm-hmm. uh, phones. Mm-hmm. But um, then there's the Witcher. We got multiple Witcher projects in development. We have confirmation that the next Witcher mainline game, Project Polaris, is the start of a new main trilogy, and the trilogy will see all of its games launch in a six-year span. From the launch of Polaris. So they're making a brand new trilogy. So, i.e., if Polaris is a 2024 game, the trilogy will be done by 2030. Uh, Project Sirius is a new Witcher game from the Flame and the Flood developers, the Molasses Flood. And then there's Project Canis Majoris, which is an open world single player game from a third party developer with former Witcher developers. That's a new IP. Or no, wait, Project Hadar is a new IP. Project Canis yes. Majoris is another Witcher game. Yes. Good grief. Uh, That's a lot of yeah. Witcher. It is a lot of... So it's three Witcher projects with one of them eventually extending out, obviously, to two more games beyond it. Uh, yeah. So clearly, uh, CD Projekt is interested in doing more cyberpunk, but also knows that the the earth's still a little salted yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and maybe this is a good time to uh to do some i think the witcher ip also just makes a lot of sense for expansion um yeah it's it's on steadier ground and by the time they had brought in uh the molasses flood which is about a year ago i believe uh that was that's that seems like good timing for them to do more in in that that time frame uh the the cyberpunk the cyber twunk revolution if you will (laughs) um is is a very recent phenomenon and uh i think the funniest part of all this to me honestly none of this is terribly surprising to me i figured when they picked up molasses flood that they would just say hey you made a really cool indie game make one of those in one of our universes uh because yeah. that's kind of what's happening at a lot of places right now uh and obviously new witcher trilogy is exciting i who knows where that goes i hope it involves siri but project canis majoris is very strange because they have said it's a third party studio working on a witcher open world game they have not said who it is. And that's kind of the big mystery right now is everyone's going, right. what studio is working on this? And uh, they have not like said anything and granted that'll probably be some reveal somewhere down the line or whatever. But um, this is maybe the most bold proclamation I've ever seen from a developer who's coming off of a game that launched as rough as cyberpunk did because they, they're kind of riding the high of this cyberpunk, you know, oh, it's, it's good. Now it's good. Cyberpunk's good. Now witchers hopefully coming to next gen, who knows when that's going to happen. But, uh, 
they're kind of picking up on that goodwill and saying like, all right, here's six years of development, baby. Here's a bunch of new games. Here's all this new stuff. We've got this team spinning up, I believe in Boston to work on, on some of this stuff. And it is surprising to see them say so much up front. And also like the idea that you could build, three games of the scale of the witcher within a six year time frame is also very mm-hmm. i'm curious as to how they are working on the pipeline to make that work because obviously there were reports around the time that cyberpunk came out about uh working conditions at cdpr that cdpr later said that they're working on but you know we only can take you know what each party says and then keep listening as, as reports come out but uh I'm really curious to see how much all of this pans out. And it is interesting that this is taking the approach that you see places like Riot Games taking with their IP where they say, we're going to get some other studios involved and have it not completely be on our shoulders this time. Yeah, I like how they said that the next cyberpunk will completely, you know, show the the power of Night City, which is their way of saying we really shouldn't have put that game on the PS4. We're sorry. I mean, yeah, duh. yeah, it's uh, still the source of all their troubles. I their think. games still, their games still coming out on the freaking PS4, PS5. Um, they just announced Need for Speed Unbound. Um, mm-hmm. that's coming out in December. I'm actually kind of excited for this one. It's a yeah, racing that looks kind of cool. Yeah, looks kind of dope, and it's going to be a new gen exclusive PS4, uh, PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC. Yeah, so I, I think there's just real benefit in focusing on current platforms as opposed to trying to cram stuff Absolutely. onto a, mm-hmm. a, a, a platform that's very old at this point, if, I, if I'm being totally honest. But uh, looking through this list of games, um, wow, that's a lot of games, honestly. Mm-hmm. We haven't even mentioned Project Hadar, a new IP, Separate from The Witcher and Cyberpunk, currently in the conceptual phase. But uh, interesting thing about the Cyberpunk sequel, it's being developed by an American studio with help from a Canadian studio. So CD CD Projekt is expanding a lot. Yeah. uh, Yeah. These projects. Yeah. It's a like Boston, basically like CD Projekt is expanding to Boston is is my Mm -hmm. understanding of it. and like that's that's cool. And I I figured that if they're going to be doing a cyberpunk sequel and a in a Witcher game at the same time, that they would be splitting up the teams a little bit like that. It does make me wonder what the gaps between some of these games are, because I would imagine just given what we've heard so far, like what they have, you know, publicized and the order in which they have done so, is that something like Project Polaris would be closer uh than the 20 what do you want to call it cyberpunk 2078 <laughs> but um i'm curious as to how much closer and if the cyberpunk i mean the cyberpunk sequel will probably have to launch in that like six year span that all those witcher games are coming out in because you don't want to announce cyberpunk and then wait another six years for cyberpunk right yeah yeah so, but that's that's so many CD project, big open world RPGs. I'm not saying that I I'm not interested in, in some of that. And as we talked about last episode, I'm certainly wanting to see more in this world, but it does again, just make you wonder like, how do they envision all of this coming together? Right? Like what, 
Well, they're doing they clearly, Alarian. They're doing yeah. Alarian slash Ubisoft in that they're creating a network of global studios, a global studio network. So they're basically global. working 24 seven. Um, and that has worked super well for a Ubisoft. game factory. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. it has uh, certainly better than EA. Ubisoft I, has been surprising, do, like shockingly good. At do we want to look at how many Ubisoft games have come out this year and how many of them are successful? I don't think that's I don't think that's the fault of their studio system necessarily. I think that's the fault of you know leadership at the top. That's not I, that's I that's I, like I agree with that. messing yeah. up your release schedule. You know, so I don't I don't know if that's like they had a really strong network of support studios that have kind of come together and like made a frankly very big games that I don't really like come together. Yeah. I just don't like thinking that far ahead into the future. That's kind of scary. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's mm. the thing. It's like, I mean, one of the things that was popping to my head was, okay, have they even started pre-production on cyberpunk 2070? Yeah, exactly. They have and if they have to- it, if they've literally not even started the pre-production, why are they even talking about it? Is this just to capitalize on the success of Edge Runners? Is this just to keep the drum beat oh, rolling? Right. It's, it's certainly going to look good for stockholders. Uh, oh, is that it? Is that just literally it? Probably is, honestly. I mean, well, what are most things? It, it's also important to note that amid all this news, um, Marcin Iwinski, who is one of the co-founders, uh, is handing over his duties uh, and leaving behind the joint CEO role. He is still involved at CD Projekt, but that was tied up in the middle of all this, all this shakeup happening. So um, it is like a lot has changed. Um, and they even have additional slides about like introducing multiplayer to most of our new games to enrich the single player experience. They, they had a slide about expanding into TV and film, which obviously they stuck in some, some edge runners stuff and all that. Um, and their overall goal for all this is as CD project has stated is three enduring franchises, more content with memorable single player stories and multiplayer experiences and a bunch of like mobile TV and film with external partners. So like kind of it's, it's the thing that a lot of people are doing right now, right? This, this Mm -hmm. like expanded universe, like, like Sony is a great example. They're doing this right now, right? Where they are trying to tie a lot of their game releases in with the PlayStation picture stuff that they are doing. Exactly. Um, Part of me is like, will that work? But then part of me also just looks at what it did for The Witcher and Edge Runners already and mm-hmm. seeing like, yeah, in those cases, it sure did work. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's just a matter of like timing. All that stuff is going to be such a production, like a logistical problem that they're going to have to solve. Right. Like, how do you ensure that the big game coincides with the big other IP stuff that lands. So in the chat, Mango Alts was wondering if everything has been in pre-production since 2021. I believe only Hadar has been in pre-production since 2021. I can't necessarily confirm um, the rest of them, but, uh, and we know that CD Projekt, based on what happened with Cyberpunk 2077, a game could be in pre-production for like six years and then- yeah. CD project ends up not using basically any of what, uh, what was produced. So yeah, it's a little bit weird. 
the development status of all these. I can run them down real quick as I pulled up the IR slides. Um, Phantom Phantom Liberty, which is the story-driven expansion for 2077, the only one, uh, is in the final production phase. And obviously Mm -hmm. that's aiming for 2023. We knew that already. Project Sirius, which is the Molasses Flood game, is in pre-production, as is Project Polaris, which is the next Witcher game that is going to eventually spin out into that trilogy that they're working. Um, Canis Majoris, which is the third-party Witcher game, uh, they've only said that it is contracted to be developed by a third-party studio led by ex-Witcher veterans. And Project Orion, they just say, is a sequel that will prove the full power and potential and will be developed by CD Projekt Red. And Hadar, they specifically say, is currently in the conceptual phase uh, and has been in IP incubation since late 2021. So, yeah, in a couple cases, there's definitely... They're, they're being lenient or vague let's say and and where they are at with some of these things um yeah they they all just sound super early but uh talk Mm -hmm. about the witcher for a hot second i i find their approach to the witcher where they're like flooding the zone with them pretty interesting so my understanding is that there was a legal dispute going on with the author of the witcher and that was at least part of what was holding it up and then they were able to resolve all of that and it wasn't long after that that they announced uh, the game that's not Witcher 4. <laughs> the, the new They're Witcher game. They're very adamant about that, yeah. Don't call it Witcher 4. Well, I just don't. No, don't call it. Okay, fine. Next Witcher. Witcher next. Um, Witcher. The one, the, <laughs> the one that may or may not star Siri. Uh, yeah. Probably. We'll see. I kind of wanted to star Siri and have her jumping through worlds. That'd be kind of neat. But... They definitely want to flood the zone and capitalize as much as possible, um, especially on the success of the the Witcher television series. It's a, it's a pro, proven commodity um, and everything. Witcher 3 remains very popular. Witcher 3 obviously catapulted CD Projekt into mainstream recognition. I find it mm-hmm. interesting that they're farming out the series to other developers. Um in uh in this approach uh we did a bunch we dug up a bunch of info on the uh the witcher game from the flame and the flood devs and what we've kind of learned over at ign was it's not a uh it's definitely not a mobile game and it's going to be quite big and there's going to be a lot of uh people working on it um and we've got some like vague ideas of what like the actual gameplay is going to look like. Um, so I, it's going to be uh, maybe maybe bigger than uh, you would initially think from a spinoff. So like our article said, um, may feature procedurally generated levels. Um, that because based on a job posting that is seeking someone to oversee both handcrafted and procedural level generation and design. Um, elsewhere, elsewhere in the listing, it confirms that many environments will be procedurally generated. So it makes me want, are they making a roguelite? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. So Out of the Witcher? Witcher. This, this is the Molasses Flood game, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Flame of the Flood... I never played it. I knew some people who spoke very highly of it, but to my understanding that did have some elements of kind of like run based ideas in it. Uh, 
I mean, something like, you know, the Witcher caravan type sort of thing I could maybe see like that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it was it was a game that was mostly about like you were going down river and, and making different stops and kind of dealing with stuff as it happened. So could be a Witcher roguelite. Who's to say? <laughs> as for combat, the studio is also looking for someone to make our games combat fun, satisfying and scalable. From the early game to the late. And the same post mentions different enemy types of weapons, behavior trees, and a leveling system. Though nothing is confirmed, these advertisements perhaps suggest a roguelike or survival game. This is from Ryan Dinsdale over at IGN.com, which is where I work. But uh, it sounds interesting. Um, it seems like CD Projekt just wants to be able to get as many different... Not not just the big open world games that you're describing, but a variety of different concepts out there. I actually wouldn't be shocked if Project Series was the first one to actually be released. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if Canis Majoris won't be an RPG, if it'll just be a straight action game. I could see that. Something like kind of vaguely Assassin's Creed-y or, or Ghost of tsushima more than than like your standard... Um, Witcher, I mean, even Witcher was kind of blurring the lines a little bit. So maybe doing like a full on action game. There's so much stuff in there. I really just hope that it's not all about Witchers because like, look, I love monster hunting. It's a good time. But if it's all that stuff, then they're going to kind of hit some walls. And there's there's other cool stuff happening in the Witcher, like make a game where you play as a mage or something. You know, that's kind of why I'm interested to see whether they do Siri or not, because Siri, I love the Siri segments in Wild Hunt, but like conceptually, Siri is a very different fighter from Geralt. Obviously, like, like fights very differently, has all the the warping powers and stuff like that. And so, I'd want some game involving her to really like capture that feeling of playing differently and not just kind of feel like I'm playing a faster Geralt, like I'm playing the Fox McCloud version of Geralt. So. Mango Alt's pointing out, Witcher is ripe for a roguelite with mutations and spells, etc. I agree. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mages and witchers have featured quite prominently in the Witcherverse. There might be, uh, but the thing that's always kind of grabbed me is the the political drama, the, the assassins, mm. um, the 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 backstabbing, as it were. Mm-hmm, It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to the, play the Dijkstra stuff. Yeah, it would be interesting to play from that perspective in a Witcher game. The thing that I'm kind of wondering about is, uh, Eric, how much uh, Witcher have you played, actually? Pretty significant amount. Okay. <laughs> I, I've i not beaten The Witcher 1, but I played through The Witcher 2 a couple times, and I've beaten Witcher 3 and all the DLC. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. You've played more Witcher than I have, then. Um, <laughs> I, I've played almost all of Witcher 3, except... Um, I haven't played um, Blood and Wine yet. Oh, and, Blood uh, and Wine's so good. It's a very, very good. I've been waiting good. for the for, remaster. For next gen. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. That's and fair. That's fair. It keeps being delayed. Yeah. Which is fine. Because <laughs> it's not like I have time anyway. But I, I might actually start a new file when that comes out. I'm not. That game is so long. It's ridiculous. It's so good, but... though. It's so good. <laughs> oh, no. It's great. It's an amazing... It deserves every it gets it deserves all the praise it gets honestly. But um, the thing that I'm wondering, okay, so Witcher three and the Witcher series in general kind of takes place after the books, 
Uh right? It takes place after everything that's happening, say, in the Netflix series at the Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Witcher 3 ends Geralt's story. Mm -hmm. We could have Ciri as a new character, but boy, oh boy, it sure seems like, yes, like, the Witcher has a lot of, like, a rich lore, rich world, a lot to draw on. But it also seems like CD Projekt's really stretching the source material quite thin. Is that is that your feeling too, Eric? I mean, the, the nice part about the divide that they found, and I think what made the Witcher games, especially 2 and 3, work, was that by setting it completely after the books and just saying, like, look, there is an event that happens that is like referenced in Witcher one, but really only becomes a thing at like the end of Witcher two and then becomes the whole thing in Witcher three, which is like the whole uh, wild hunt stuff and, and why Geralt has amnesia and things like that. Uh, the, the nice part of doing that was it gave them a clean cut to say they're never going to have to deal with any sort of weird book stuff or like this character can't be here. They're supposed to be over here. And so they, they never have to deal with that stuff. So I think them going ahead and saying, you know what, we're just going to tell our own story. We're going to do our own thing. I think there is, I've heard, and I did some digging into this at some point that there is some sort of work out there that covers a post wild hunt stuff. That is like the school of the links and all that like L Y N X. But there's largely a lot of unpaved road for them to potentially go down, just like with, you know, Star Wars or or Final Fantasy VII Remake and stuff like that, where there's just world's your oyster. And I think it would be better to do that than than try and do any sort of thing that might incorporate older stuff, Uh, because I do think it would be very easy to get caught up in the denser lore that exists pre Wild Hunt. And I would like to see them just avoid that and keep avoiding it like they have before. As for Cyberpunk 2, whenever that comes out, mm-hmm. God knows, like sometime in the far distant future, maybe maybe it will actually be 2078 be when this game comes out. Maybe 2030. <laughs> will we still I have mean, breathable air? Let's will we out. make it out of this decade? Boy, this is getting dark. <laughs> but the new Cyberpunk, um, assuming that we're all still around by the time this game comes out. I mean, I already joked about... Um, assuming we're not living in a cyber twunk future yet. <laughs> a cyber twunk future. We've already mentioned that they really need to fix the phone issue. Is there anything else mm-hmm. that like, we definitely want them to have in mind as they're approaching Cyberpunk 2078 or whatever they end up calling it? I think the biggest thing they could do for me going into a new cyberpunk is to change the setting up completely. And and I don't mean leave night city, but I do mean, uh, have a different focal point for that character for, for the character, you know, leave the events of 2077, uh, you know, reference them. Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the cooler things they did with the edge runners update is reference some of the stuff that happens in edge runners in 2077. And I like that feeling of a lived world, but, uh, like do something different. Cause I do think that both do the nature of its story itself and just kind of the weird ticking time clock it put on the narrative and a lot of different things. Uh, the way that 2077 presented its story wasn't always conducive to making like showing night city in a cool way. And that would yeah. be my other flip side is like make night city feel a little bit more alive and 
we had some interesting discussion in this in the weekly episodes chat uh and and kind of went back and forth and and this isn't me saying like make it yakuza i mean you know make it yakuza but (laughs) it's um like like night city there's just not things happening in it people just kind of walk around to and fro uh there's not things happen if there is something happening it's usually some sort of like can situation that the player can be like oh look those people are being held up by maelstrom gang members let me just mm-hmm. slide in there and do some some shooting and and be a clint eastwood type character here and i everything is very player centric in that way. And I would like a world that just feels a little bit more lived in and also like have a party. That was the thing I really loved in edge runners that right. we talked about that I missed going back to 2077 is this idea of like, I, I want like a crew. I want like my, my gang, you know, like that's kind of the, the fun part of edge runners is seeing that found family come together. And it's a really good thing in an RPG. It's a really good storytelling thing in an RPG. And while I think 2077 does have good moments of storytelling, I think one thing they could do to not only elevate them, but make it feel different from 2077 is to have more of a group atmosphere and less of like, it's me and my ghost Keanu everywhere. Um, <laughs> look, we are all haunted by thoughts of Keanu. My Reeves, pet Keanu. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a controversial one. Don't set it in Night City. Oh. Set it in Day City. I, Day I actually City. found the uh, Night City is the main character. Actually, Night City is like where all the stories happen. Night City will eat you; it'll chew you up, or whatever. It's kind of. I didn't actually find Night City that compelling a setting, uh, not compelling enough anyway. Uh, I kind of want them. I don't know. How about a rural cyberpunk setting? Can you do that? Is that a is that a thing that can happen? Can you do rural cyberpunk? You could do That's, nomads. So like the the nomads live in kind of the wasteland between yeah. areas, and that was like I, a heavy one of the better parts of twenty seventy seven is all the nomad stuff with the Aldecado Aldecaldos sure. and and Pan Am. More, it's and more all Mad Maxy. Would be very Mad Maxy. I mean that Mad Max game. There was also a similar thing of people going like that Mad Max open world game from like 2014, 2015, something like that. Well, that's actually kind of good. And so maybe, I don't know, Cyberpunk could figure that out. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's time for Cyberpunk to get away from Asian influenced, you know, I mean, all of the usual suspects. Uh, I mean, of, <laughs> carve your how, own way out. I know that you're based on a freaking tabletop role playing game that cribs directly from all of this, but Cyberpunk yeah. made Witcher its own. Or CD Projekt made Witcher its own. Make Cyberpunk your own, too. We have a really good episode on Normandy FM about this. Uh, tearing the specific Asian influence in, that exists in, like, lowercase c cyberpunk media out is kind of difficult because it's predi- not. This is not justifying it. I'm just saying it is, like, predicated on it. Like, that was like, where a lot bedrock. of it came from. Yeah, it is. So that would require a fairly not revolutionary, but like it would require CD project to really be like, we are shifting our approach here. Granted, I do think some of the stuff they did, especially in this night city with some of the vistas they have, like, like Pacifica is an absolutely wonderful area. I thought Pacifica was one of the cooler parts of 2077 and was a really cool way of envisioning that area visually. But uh, even edge runners uh, does some really cool stuff to maybe not, 
lean so heavily on the stuff that you would see in say like a Blade Runner or a um a, a Ghost in the Shell or something like that. And oh boy, if we get deep into the weeds on cyberpunk media as a whole, we'll be here for a long time. So we don't need to do oh, that. <laughs> but um, I do think maybe something that is set in like Tokyo would be kind of cool. Deal with Arasaka closer to arasaka itself um i mean there is a lot of interest in seeing i think phantom liberty it feels like they're teasing some of the nusa stuff uh and there would be interest there uh it is it is kind of a bummer that like cyberpunk is like night city is a core punk of capital the night city is a core part of capital c cyberpunk and it's hard at times to extricate that but CD project has shown in the past that, like you said, cat, it can do that when, when it has the push and maybe the push is having a catastrophic launch and then sudden resurgence. Yeah, truly. But we'll know at some point in the next 10 years, assuming that we're all still around in the meantime, it's time now to talk about the autumn of the avatar. This episode is brought to you by Reese's peanut butter cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yes, it's our ongoing discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender. We are, and it's very spoiler-filled, just so you know, we are currently in the middle of book two. Eric, which episodes did we watch this week? Uh, This week we watched Bitter Work, which was uh, the startup to Aang's earthbending training, as well as Zuko undertaking his own firebending training in another one of my favorite scenes of Zuko development where he's on top of the mountain and just yelling at the lightning to strike him. That was some Vegeta-ass Super Saiyan shit He wants the punishment. He deserves the punishment. All right? that was Dragon Ball Z. I mean, it was cool, but it was like Vegeta crying in the rain because he can't go Super Saiyan. It's it's so... is it cheesy? Yes. Is it very good? Oh, absolutely. I eat that up. That is yeah, delicious. Give me more. Uh, who's to say if we'll get more? But uh, all the way up through the drill, which is uh, kind of the what I would call like the end of the journey to bossing, say that kind of kicks off with the library, which I think the library was probably my favorite episode of, of this bunch. Um, that is the one where the uh team avatar descends into the under sand library and meets a giant studio ghibli owl who yeah uh, no face the owl there yeah that's just a really cool episode great animation great tension 
uh i love the part where the owl is like you are misusing this knowledge because look ang ang and the crew are being deceitful they're not oh in yeah the right. yeah they, they straight they up lied to that owl and they did a bad thing and they do perceive themselves as better and and capable of using that knowledge right the same way that the firebenders and many other conquering nations that came to that library before viewed themselves as correct and yeah. i think the library is a great episode for really just getting some of those points home that like this this is cyclical this is mm. A, a violent cycle that has been acting out over and over again. And then Sokka, Sokka finally gets to shine. You love it. You love to see it. He, he figures out the terrarium stuff and, and figures out that the eclipse is coming. And yeah, Sokka's really becoming a valued member of the crew, which we do love to see. The, uh, the planetarium reminded me of the final fantasy seven, the scene with, uh, in Cosmo Canyon. I don't know if that's inspired mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it definitely brought back to that memory. Yeah, uh, these episodes washed over me a little bit, if I'm being totally honest. Okay, can we talk about Sokka for a hot second? Um, uh, absolutely. Why does every girl have a thing for Sokka? Like, That's a good question. Sokka's just got it, you know? Just, Sokka's just built different. He's got that dog like in him, you know? <laughs> Toph likes Sokka. Sachi. There was that episode that was basically a season one reunion. Sachi comes back. She's like, I'm totally into Sokka. That one lady... And the North Pole likes Sokka. Mm-hmm. Everyone likes Suki's Sokka. Back. Suki's back and still has a crush on Sokka. The moon yeah. is horny for Sokka. Mm-hmm. The literal yeah. moon is infatuated with Sokka. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, who else is uh, super into Sokka? I, I feel like there's just there's Apple. a long list at this point. There's. A, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yes. There's that bit where uh, Toph thinks that Sokka has saved her, which is actually a great bit. And then uh-huh. she gives she gives a kiss to uh to who Suki. she end up getting Suki. Suki. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> she's this long pause and she's like, you can let me drown now. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just embrace uh, it. Just embrace it, girl. It's okay. <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh the final episode was the drill, which mm-hmm. reminded me of phallic, uh, isn't it? It's a it's like a Yamato episode, space battleship Yamato episode. Yes, where the yeah. Drills like a good taking time bomb where the a mm-hmm. big old drill is drilling into the or like an Evangelion episode uh, where yeah, the drills. Oh, oh yeah, with the the drilling thing and they have to like get yeah. into the shafts and shoot up at it. Oh god, banger episode. Yeah, yeah. I I can't actually tell you. Also, Asaka. Well, we were kind of talking about this. Um, he, I don't think he's very smart. He's like some kind of idiot savant, and that's yeah. because <laughs> that's because the story will let him come up with plans and solutions as the plot demands. Mm-hmm. You know, everything he does is completely unearned. Sokka would be an amazing. He's going to grow up to be an executive. He's going to company. Fail upwards. <laughs> he's going to fail upwards. Everybody's going to be like, "How the hell is that guy an executive vice president?" And he's going to walk around with all of his ideas being like, you work harder. Good job. You work smarter, not harder. That's what he would say. (laughs) I I have to say, I love the bit where it was, I think it was the library episode. They're crossing the desert on the back of Appa and Tove says, there it is. And everyone looks like, that's what I would say if, (laughs) and then she does the like John Cena thing. (laughs) That's what's great. I just, it's just, I don't, Sokka could be very likable 
at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can be charming. Like he has his sweet moments, but so much about Sokka's unearned and he is by far my least favorite character in Yeah, I agree. If Sokka was not in the in the show, I would not care that much. He's just uh everyone else's development I really enjoy. Like I think it was Aang like losing his mind. Uh yeah. And mm, mm-hmm. lose Oppa. That was it. That yeah. was a good scene. Um Sokka to me is the perfect embodiment of the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Like yeah. he is not book smart. Not at mm. all. But he is able to piece things together and understand things very easily. Like, like he's good at, you know, handiwork and craftsmanship, that sort of thing. Like he's, he's good at, at practical skills. He did the knot for the owl when the owl's like, show me your wisdom. And it's uh-huh, like, here you go. Uh-huh. I made a knot. Like, all right, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, he was the one who even figures out that like, Oh, if we get inside the, the giant worm drill, mm. then we might be able to, take it apart and then comes up with the idea of instead of trying to take down all the rafters, like just develop enough tension and then like hit it at the right point and the whole thing will pop. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that was honestly, that was also a banger of an episode. Cause we also got to see awesome team girl squad back in action. Good fight mm-hmm. scene. Love that. Um, we got to see Ty Lee take down an entire group of pro <laughs> earth benders. <laughs> yeah, just good. annihilate all of them. Uh once Jet again, I think, back too. Yeah, Jet shows up and uh did y'all have to rewind to catch Iroh doing the fire no. bending on the T? I realized right away when you did when I saw the T steaming, I'm like, Oh, you you're stupid, aren't you? You're mm-hmm. supposed to be the smartest character here, but you're dumb. I like how Zuko like lashed out and said, What are you doing, you complete idiot? He I like it because as much as I like Iroh, who's always talking to depicted as like the the man who's you know, knows what's going on, even though he's actually like a complete buffoon. And here is a small slip up that could potentially screw everything up because he wasn't thinking. Unless it's part of his great plan. I don't know. But yeah. I also love the bit where Iroh is teaching Zuko about the different nations. And it's, I feel like this, it's a long Mm -hmm. time coming for that character where you, you start to learn that he's maybe a little bit more, world traveled than other people and so he's talking about how he has learned to redirect lightning by studying the waterbenders and all that and him doing the the education course basically on how all those nations work and kind of what their background is and what their um kind of the way they they bend and how they view bending and how that can inform your own bending was a really cool scene that i really like it kind of yeah gives you an idea of how these you know for for lack of a better term subclasses are are evolving and how bending evolves is this way of seeing things differently and and bringing in different worldviews and the avatar kind of embodies a lot of that right yeah Um, yeah yeah. they do uh, a really really i said this last episode but they do a really good job depicting toff and the way she sees like the idea of her being in the Mm -hmm. desert and trying to cross the ice in both instances being pretty much effectively blind like that makes a lot of sense. That's a lot of kind of care put into writing that character. And I, I just realized now the whole John Cena thing, like she wouldn't have even seen anything on the horizon. No, no, she wouldn't have seen any. There are several points where they, they make jokes like that. And it's very funny every time. And I, I always like that. It's, it's not a joke made at Toff's expense, which I think right. could have been right. really easy to do, but it's Toff very much like prodding, at other members of team avatar who say something without thinking about it and then are like 
oh, and Toph is yeah. like just giving them, you know, <laughs> giving like, themselves the, the, for the it. The scene where she does the Minecraft thing and like kind of buries everyone to protect them from what's above. Because uh, I used to do that with zombies when I played Minecraft, as mm-hmm. you do on your first mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And Sokka, I think, is like, oh, no, it's pitch dark in here. Oh, how terrible that would be. Like <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really good. I, I think we're we're getting into the meat of it now. This is probably uh, it's still going to be very episodic, but we are starting to see more pieces fall into place. And that was one thing mm-hmm. I really liked about these episodes was they not only had a like kind of linear progression to them it was this idea of they're in the desert they're getting out of the desert they're heading towards bossing say they're at the wall of bossing say so you kind of get this like fellowship traveling sort of vibe from it mm-hmm. but uh rather than like i think book one plays really fast and loose with like where team avatar is on the map and how they're getting from south to north pole and all that yeah for sure um and and i think it 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 has a more natural progression and feeling of movement towards places now and, and, and a feeling like the episodes are a little bit more interlinked, even if they are kind of still dealing with whatever the problem of the week may be. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that I still really like Iroh and mm-hmm, Zuko. Mm-hmm. I feel all the feelings seeing Iroh mourning his dead child was a hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I don't know about book two. It, it's very earthbender heavy and thus very desert mm-hmm. heavy and everything. Mm-hmm. I love Toph and everything, but desert isn't my preferred biome. I should yeah, say. I don't like deserts, but I still like the episodes, but desert is just boring. I hate the desert. It's just so beige. Sorry, anyone who lives in the desert. Sorry, Arizona listeners. Sorry, we hate just... the desert on Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Stated stands of Axe <laughs> of the Blood God. <laughs> desert bad. Uh, and and we got uh this next week is actually our shortest week in terms of episodes to watch uh is only three episodes uh it is the city of walls and secrets it is Mm -hmm. the tales of bossing say and it is appa's lost days um those those who know know that is all i'm going to say there's there's a reason why i made this week short so (laughs) <laughs> was it short even... it didn't feel short to me no not not this week the coming next week. week yeah this is oh, this next you. batch of episodes yeah um but we are we're already i think we have cleared we've cleared the halfway point at this point we're halfway through the avatar autumn oh, yeah. uh, and and rocketing oh, yeah. towards the end the more i look at the episode guide coming up we we are hitting the stuff the the capital s stuff as we get further and further in so it's quite exciting quite inciting indeed all right nadia take us home So since today was the Mario movie reveal, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the time I went to see the original 1993 Mario movie in the theaters. I waited for this movie for so long. I remember just like cutting out all the magazine articles about it and just like being like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't understand how any of this is going to work in live action, but by God, I'm going to give it a decent chance. And I did. May 28th. 
and I went to a theater that's long gone now. It's uh, kind of been bulldozed over for, you know, the usual massive cineplex they have now. And I sat in that movie and I was baffled, but I kind of enjoyed it for what it was. It was me, a couple of friends of mine from school. Uh, one of those friends I was kind of working on a science project with and we kind of left it all to the last minute. So we had to finish before we went to the movie and our, her dad told us, you're not going unless you finish that stupid science project. But <laughs> we finished it. I think it was, we stuck some cords in a lemon or something and it was like, great, there's our science project. Good, <laughs> good. Let's go see Mario. <laughs> we, we electrocuted the lemon. I think it was we supposed did. to go the other way, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. Like I remember liking it, like I said, but not, really liking it much as a mario movie how could i it was so weird i remember showing it to my dad when it finally came to cable and he was like he knows nothing about mario he's like mm -hmm. i kind of like it it has a, a lot of great actors in it and going back now looking at it in retrospect it's like they did not have any right to half of these actors like i can't remember who played lita but she's like a shakespearean actress and it's just like holy crap and john luigi Mizio, like john luigi john l Luigi. Leguizamo? Let you Leguizamo. try. Dang it, cat. I was going to let Nadia try a few more times. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of hot as Luigi when I was that age, so that was uh, that worked out for me. John Luigi Zamo. <laughs> it has Don Lake in it as um, uh, Koopa's main security guy. My dad, that's part of the reason he, he liked the movie. He loved Don Lake. Who's a Canadian actor? It's actually, I, I live down the street from a parquet named after him. Of course he's So, did. Yeah. <laughs> It's a nice little park kid. It's cute. Uh, yeah, so that was my seeing the Mario movies. It makes me wonder how kids are going to react to seeing the normal, sane Mario movie. And I don't know. I feel a little bit bad for them because it's going to be fun. I can tell it's going to be a fun, cute movie. But just having your brain fried and scrambled by Blade Runner Mario in the 90s was a real, real pat rite of passage, I guess. And some of the things looking back on it, it's like, we found dinosaurs with opposable thumbs. Now the mob is trying to flood us out. I'm like, that went completely over my head when I was a kid. Why would I talk about the mob in a Mario movie? Wait, I know why. But yeah, and I'm just like, if they found a dinosaur skeleton with opposable thumbs, holy shit, that would be the discovery of the the millennium. Like, oh that would God. just be like, and then here comes some 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 mobsters to flood the place. It's like, because nobody gives a damn about dinosaurs with opposable thumbs, apparently. The dinosaurs sorry, was... were gamers. I can't believe it. <laughs> That was a stupid rant, but anyway, yeah, I just, uh, how old was I at the time? It would have been probably like 13 or something or 12, and yeah, that was uh, that was my childhood, going to see the Mario movie and surviving. It was like surviving chicken pox. We all did it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I uh, only saw that movie just recently, actually. Oh, um, what did you think? Oh, I hated it. It was <laughs> so boring. It's glorious. It's so boring is anything but boring that those sets holy moly the cgi is so terrible it was Fractal one of the most boring nice. movies i've ever watched what's hilarious is in italy apparently like when they the italian version of the movie they beat koopa they blow him up or whatever right everyone starts dancing apparently the italian version of the movie stops there it doesn't have the ending where like mario and luigi go home and daisy and him kiss it just stops with people dancing i kind of like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. i've never seen this movie you gotta see it, Eric. It's not boring. I don't know what Cat was watching, but it couldn't have been the same movie. Bob um, Hoskins and John Leguizamo. I would Come just on, it was really great. slow. Like I felt like I 
I mean, yes, the imagery was really weird and kind of interesting and everything, but there just came a point where I started to get kind of bored out of my mind. Bob Hoskins and John Luigi, they were both apparently like just drunk out of their minds for the whole filming because it was such a nightmare to film that movie. You got to look up the, I think the Super Mario movie archive has everything you need to know about how what a disaster area that whole movie was. Yeah, it was, uh, it's a really fascinating story. I believe um, at a certain point, Dennis Hopper just went off on the directors and said that they were the most unprofessional people he's ever worked with. Yeah, apparently he lost it. And mm. I do not want Dennis Hopper losing his shit on me. I would just like, ugh. I mean, he's dead now, right? So I definitely don't want him losing his shit on me. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really bad. Oh, no. What did I smoke? Oh, God. I do like Bob Hoskins. Bob I'm, Hoskins was I'm great. I'm a noted Bob Hoskins fan. I yeah. mean, he was fantastic in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Exactly. Still like that, that's honestly for a long time. I would I would have said that was my favorite movie. I, I really like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's a great. It's still great. I love watching it, rewatching it. As for uh, science projects, I um, was never really that into the science fairs. Uh, whenever I went to mm-hmm. science fairs, it always seemed like some kid would bring their G.I. Joe space shuttle in and be like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a space shuttle. I, uh, <laughs> the G.I. Joe space shuttle. That's like... <laughs> Ralph with the Star Wars figures. What's, what's a diorama? <laughs> I never did the uh, volcano. That was I, the. I knew a kid who did the volcano, and it like just <laughs> it didn't erupt the way it supposed to. It just shot off a stream of red that kind of went literally almost hit the ceiling. We were just kind of chanting like, "Yeah, hit the ceiling!" Oh. And someone says something really bad. I can't even say it on here because it would turn this into a double pit. Um, there was. There was one when we had to do a science fair. I did one that was about like, do different cheeses mold at different rates? That's um, cool. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. Then my dog ate them. Oh, no. Literally like two she days before the science fair, my, my dog Bessie ate up all the cheese. Like just right. I mean, granted, it was on the counter, but it was on like a high counter. Like Bessie had to work to get up there. So like respect the drive that got that dog up on that counter. But um, I literally had to get a sign note from my parents with photographic evidence that my dog did indeed eat my homework. What was your and hypothesis the, anyway? Uh, my, my whole thing was going to be about like the longevity of cheese and how it's affected by like Texas climate and stuff like that. My dad helped me out on, I'm going to be honest with you. Like my dad was, was the idea man behind this. And I was really just like, yeah, dad, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, Mango in the chat asks photographic evidence of what of the giant ripped plastic bags and scattered pieces of cheese and dog vomit from the mold on the floor. I was going to say he must have terrible that, diarrhea. That thing, that thing looked bad. It was a bad situation <laughs> in that kitchen. <laughs> I'm surprised that we all woke up to it and weren't woken up by it <laughs> like that. Yeah um what a nightmare yeah yeah it was um it was a whole time so yeah i i I think science fairs i I was never a science student so like i i always thought that science was funny because we got to do dumb fun things but most of the time they weren't as dumb or fun as i would have liked to have done i dissected a fetal pig 
I was I never had a problem with dissecting things. I, I dissected that that frog like it was nothing. So we didn't really? do frogs. I I just did a yeah. pig. Ugh, couldn't have that. The frog's dead. What's it gonna do? Like, <laughs> hello, my when baby. I'm, I'm hello, squeamish. My hello, also, my right on gal. Thank you for that, Nadia. <laughs> um yeah i mean like it's it's nasty but i don't know i was just kind of like eh whatever it does smell like formaldehyde it does smell bad yeah it is a bad time well thanks nadia for that relatively wholesome story uh i guess the mario movie is a a nostalgia pit in of itself of itself yeah for sure (laughs) <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Axe of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. We're heading right into the post show with our stars of Destiny. And this week we're joined by Teeps, Abby of the Moon, um, Akamujo, Dragula, Zixa, EJ. Hello, EJ. Welcome to the show. Mango Alts, Ruka, Spirus, and Supermoop, who will all be coming along with us to the post show. Um, as once again, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we have a ton of uh, bonus content. If you enjoyed this, uh, if if you enjoyed this most recent discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender, can I recommend that you check out our recap of uh, book one, in which we talk about all of the best characters and like everything that happened um, and pick the MVP of the season. Uh, we did that with White Lotus. That was a lot of fun. Um, or sorry, with Lotus, not White Lotus, Lotus. Um, and we that's a different part. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a show. Um, and we also uh, have our Pantheon of the Blood God episode, and uh, we're gonna have a special. Uh, well, we might have a special going up next week. That's a conversation with an interesting person. Um, we'll see. Fingers crossed uh, that it all works out. But keep an eye out for that. Until then, uh, for Nadia, Eric, myself. Thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. I love when you do the hocus pocus to me. The way that you touch, you got the power to me. You give me that look. It's almost unreal. It's almost unreal. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA.